Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, Midnight Myth listeners. Ready for a blast from the past? For the next several weeks, we'll be publishing our back catalog, episodes 1 through 20, to make them available on your favorite podcast listening platforms. What you're about to hear is episode one, Villainy, in which Derek and I deliver case studies on two iconic villains, Dracula and Voldemort. While the format of the pod has definitely changed, we think you'll enjoy listening to how we got our start. And in many ways, especially in how often we reference Keanu Reeves, we're still the same. So let's hop in the Midnight Myth time machine. Without further ado, episode one, Villainy. What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula that makes a story flawless? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell this story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the break of daylight and the black of night, there is a story, and it's perfect. Midnight Myth, first episode ever. Thank you so much for tuning in. As yeah. you guys heard, I'm Thanks Derek. For joining us. I'm Laurel. Um, Laurel, kick us off with just a really quick bio before we get into what we want to do today. Awesome. Yeah, so my name's Laurel. I am a native Texan uh, here in Philadelphia for about eight or nine years. Uh, my background is really in uh, writing, in creative writing, in literature, and theater. I also have uh, a little bit of a background in art history and mythology. So that's kind of why I come to this podcast here. Uh, Really my love of great storytelling and the many, many ways and media there are to express a story within. Uh, Yeah, that's what I got. All right, right on. I'm Derek. I I consider myself to be a professional nerd, uh, bona fide history buff, music lover, technology lover. And uh, for me, the, the podcast here is just to, to break down the things that I love to talk about already mm-hmm. and in hopes to bring new voices, new ideas about storytelling and how storytelling affects and shapes our lives. So we've been debating how to start this podcast and what a good <laughs> theme would be for quite a while now. And it kind of came clear to us as 2016 ends uh, that we should talk about the first thing, villains. Villains. So this is episode one entitled, entitled Villainy. So here's kind of how it's going to break down. 
um, we each picked a villain we had uh, to do a case study on. Now, the idea was we only had two rules. We can't pick Darth Vader. And we can't pick the Joker. And you might be wondering, why can't you pick those characters? Because <laughs> they're the best villains of all time. Uh, yeah, pro- yeah pro- probably the yeah. best villains of all time. Yeah. And we felt like they deserve their own whole episodes yeah. at some point. Yeah, because the last thing I wanted to do was talk about the nature of evil and the nature of villainy and then talk about Darth Vader for an hour and not have time to get to anybody else. Yeah, pretty much. If we were to go down the Darth Vader or Joker <laughs> rabbit hole, that entire podcast would just be about how amazing those two villains are. Yeah. So the, the basic format is this. We each did a case study on two villains. We're going to talk about them, introduce the villains, have a little bit of a discussion. We, we say introduce them, but you know these guys. Yes, not introduce yeah. them. Introduce them to the podcast, but not to the world. Yeah, you know these guys. Hopefully you know these villains. If you yeah. don't, you're not listening to the right podcast. <laughs> like, go find something else. Um, and the other th- just caveat here is that we were inspired by the presidential race of 2016. Yeah. If you want to know more about that, check out our website with a domain that uh, mm-hmm. I don't think we have registered yet. That's how new this podcast is. Midnightmyth.com. Midnightmyth.com. Oh, we have ha- we have that registered. All right. We have the Midnight well, no, Myth. But we will. Is it the Midnightmyth.com? Midnightmyth.com. Midnightmyth.com. Um, then at the end of it, we have a little like kind of outro game that we'd like to play that we'd like for you guys to hit us up and tell us what you think. Yeah, you're invited. So without further ado, should we jump into our first villain? Let's jump in. Should we define villain first? Ah, yeah. So this is super critical and important. So there's a sort of basic melodramatic structure to a villain. Yeah. Um, what makes a villain and in any medium first we need when we are introduced to the villain there has to be some sort of cue 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 yeah i'm a professional yeah <laughs> yeah there has to be some sort of cue first time yeah whether it's, it's whether it's um uh wow that just got me that just <laughs> totally got me off off topic whether it's it just uh, totally got you off yeah whether it's um all right <laughs> I'm fired. Yeah. All right, go on. So we're going to have, we can't get sexual on the podcast, can we? Is that okay? You can make a joke. Okay. All right. So we're lovers, by the way, in case you couldn't tell. He's my boyfriend. Yeah. So any event, there must be some sort of way that we recognize the villain. Now, this could be done stylistically through a costume. Um, If it's a visual medium, it can Mm -hmm. be done with, uh, you know, evil music. It can Mm -hmm. be done with a set. It can be done with a description. But when we first are introduced to a villain, there's something about them. It it makes me think of uh, when I was a kid, I would go and see these like actual melodramas. You would go and see a play that was in the in the style of, you know, a turn of the century melodrama where you would have the, the literal mustache twirling villain and the, the vaudeville piano would come on in the background and play the menacing music and you were allowed to throw things at the villain and hiss and boo because right. you were supposed to uh, participate. But it was so clear cut in those days. Uh, so it's an interesting... Uh, but, you know, the, it, yeah. it's not enough to just look evil, right? Exactly. So you have to do something evil. So the idea is that the villain needs a victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone, something that they they harm. So a we'll lady do, to tie to the railroad tracks. Yeah, I was about to say traditionally, like a, a princess, a damsel in distress would be one of the, the typical <laughs> yeah. things. Um, and then that victim then leaves the path open for the hero, and it's the hero's job to avenge and right the injustice that was created by the villain. So that this think of it kind of like a triangle. 
you have a hero at the top that's connected both to the victim and the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important to note that this is not a universal theme. Not every no. villain's going to be like this. But when you think of the sort of stereotype, like arch bad guy, that's what you want to think of. Yeah. So without further ado, should we jump into my villain? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So uh, we kind of kept this secret from each other. We gave us a little basic rundown, but I am picking Dracula as my villain case study. So, and I'm picking a very particular type of Dracula. I've heard of him. Yeah. He's, well, he's a very famous villain, made famous originally in the late uh, 19th century when Bram Stoker wrote Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mm -hmm. um, drawing on a tradition of flesh-eating, eternal life-seeking creatures and monsters. Right. Vampires who have been, you know, there have been vampire stories as long as there have been stories. Pretty much. I mean, the, the narrative that there's some sort of a demon-esque creature that drinks blood or eats flesh and based yeah. upon that gets eternal life. It's pretty consistent. It's yeah. cross-cultural. Mm-hmm. So the vampire narrative that I want to talk about is the 1992 Francis Ford Coppola movie, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Great movie. Um, and the reason why I want to talk about that and highlight that is that there's a very new type of Dracula. So when we first are introduced to Dracula, we see his backstory. We see that he's actually a medieval warrior and he is tasked with the job of defending Christendom from the Turks. Now, there's some basis of history in this. Mm -hmm. You know, this was an actual event. The Turkish Empire was encroaching on Eastern Europe Mm -hmm. and there were, you know, medieval princes that had to go out there and they had to go out and essentially kick ass and kill the kill the Turks. He, though, Dracula is very particular. The order and the idea, the name of Dracula is actually based in true history. Vlad, right. Vlad Dracula. Vlad Dracula. Well, Vlad Dracula is the father of Vlad Dracula. Right. Which means son of the dragon. Right. And um, they their, their job essentially was to go out there and stop this from happening. Mm-hmm. In the process of doing this, Dracula then chooses to essentially align himself with evil. Because after he wins the battle, his princess, his love, his true love, falls victim to a really terrible ruse. Vengeful Turks, I think is what they call it in the movie, shoot Mm -hmm. an arrow into his castle saying, hey, you guys might have won, but sorry, Dracula's been killed in the process. So she kills herself. In the eyes of traditional Catholic law, she is now a damned soul. And Mm -hmm. if she's going to be a damned soul... He's going to essentially sell his soul to the devil to avenge her eternal torment. So right out of the gate, there is a really strong moral center to Dracula. Yeah. You know, and there is a, a pain and a pain that we can all feel. We've all lost someone at some point. And when you lose someone, you might get angry. And if you have the power to sell your soul for vengeance, maybe in the heat of the moment, you stab across and start drinking blood. Yeah, sure. So. Then, then we flash forward, we see Dracula, he's an old man, he's decrepit, and what is he doing? He is uh, buying land in London perplex, you know, perplexly, like he wants to go to London, presumably to just kill people in London and drink their flesh. He's probably just tired of Transylvanian flesh, right? <laughs> so um, right out of the gate, John Harker is a villain, is a victim here. John Harker is getting tortured. John Harker is getting fed on by his like evil concubines. Dracula looks evil. His castle looks evil. There's a, mm-hmm. uh, a Dracula music cue that's like, bah, bah, that's all very evil and dark. But and what- Jonathan Harker, of course, is Keanu Reeves, who is 
very heroic. <laughs> and considered by none to be a great actor. <laughs> but a very, very good man. Oh, that I did not know. We'll talk. Yeah, great that person. I did not know. Great person. So long story short, what, ch- what uh, Francis Ford Coppola does is Dracula's main motivation is to avenge his wife. Mm-hmm. He is both villain and victim, right? He is yeah. both hero and villain and victim. He embodies the three ends of this triangle. Ah. Right? So he, and because of this, as the movie progresses, what happens to Dracula? He gets young. He gets handsome. He's no longer evil looking. So he sheds that traditional melodramatic role of looking evil. Yeah. Right? There's a scene where he has the the ability to rape Mina. And he almost looks like he's going to, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right? He stops. He has a scene where he almost changes her into a vampire, but he stops because he can't damn her soul the way his has been damned. Mm. And in the end, they are actually truly two characters in love. Their souls are conjoined. Yeah. Right? So this isn't just... Um, Mina that just looks like Elisabetta, his princess, his princess's soul is still alive. And based upon that, Dracula becomes redeemed. And at the very end, when Dracula finally meets his end, it's a moment of peace. He says to Mina, give me peace, you know, as she kills him. And you're you're sad that Dracula dies. Right. So what he does is he takes that standard when what by he I mean, Francis Ford Coppola, he takes that standard melodramatic triangle yeah. and he plays with it and he he twists it and it's not just a, a two-dimensional thing it is now a three-dimensional object right and i think why that's relevant to me and why that matters um because if you add complexity to your villainy you're reflecting the complexity of life yeah so the people in life that do terrible horrible things don't wake up and twirl their mustache yeah. And say, I'm going to do these terrible, horrible things today. I'm going to commit atrocities just for the sake of committing atrocities. Even even like they think of the most horrible people from history on some level believe they're doing the right thing. Like Charles Manson to date doesn't think he's done anything wrong. Now he's a sociopath. Yeah. And this is a legitimate villain. Yeah. Endorsing Charles Manson. No. But it's that triangle yeah. in a way, you know, from a particular perspective. Right. Anyone can be the villain. Anyone can be the victim if you place yourself at one end of the triangle. Right. Right. Abs- absolutely. And what do we see now with the vampire narrative? Mm-hmm. So Francis Ford Coppola took thousands of years of vampires or vampire-like creatures simply being mustache-twirling evildoers. Mm-hmm. And he flipped that on its head and made them these tortured anti-heroes, which is now a common accepted yeah. trope. What what year was was that Dracula? Ninety two. Ninety two. So it's it's you know it's very yeah. chronologically at the same same period as Buffy, right? But, uh, so well, Buffy takes some cues from it. I was going to say Buffy the Vampire Slayer has Angel, Angel who is a, a vampire who's a good guy. Yeah. Right. Then you have, uh, not that I'm a fan of it, but you have the twilight series. Right. Where but vampires yeah, you're are in good. the same tradition. You have true blood. Right. Where vampires are here. Some things from Buffy. Absolutely. Uh-huh. You know, but I mean, it's, it's not out of the realm to think someone might've become a vampire because of unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. And, and might still have some I, good to them and they might be able to yeah. do good with their powers. Uh, interview with the vampire. Oh, Brad Pitt. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the name of his character? I can't. Louis something. Louis? Louis. I but, think it's just Louis. But Lestat is the Tom Cruise character. Right. 
Well, Lestat's kind of irredeemable. He's just yeah, evil, no, he's right? Just like he's nasty. He loves his vampire nature, right. but Louis kind of wishes he was still human. Yeah. You know, so I, I think. Yeah, he's really interesting. And, and so I think when you sit there and you reflect, changing villains, giving them a side to the to the argument, mm-hmm. um, adding that level of nuance and complexity. To me, and that's why I love that movie is because you relate with Dracula. The movie has some flaws, right? Like, oh sure, yeah, it, it, it's not a home run. Yeah, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. Yeah, I, I mean they're not particularly like I. I feel bad never acting, having acted in my life, He's criticizing gone another back actor to his home. <laughs> He's a little wooden and stiff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that I don't love them, I do. Mm-hmm. It's just a not, so, not great performances. Uh, in the in the hall of history right but so you know and i just love the idea that there can be a tradition of the of the melodramatic evildoer Mm -hmm. something that has lost its soul must drink blood and murder the innocent to sustain everlasting (laughs) life yeah can have a redeemable aspect to them and to be fair to to the villainy of Dracula, he does a lot of things in in the movie and in the traditional at uh, the book. They're just irredeemable. The character Lucy, yeah. he destroys just because he wants to. Right. Right. Like he oh, he just Lucy's awesome. Yeah, he absolutely just obliterates her. He hypnotizes her. He rapes her. He drinks her blood and turns her into a vampire. Yeah. And like it's even so horrific. Like he rapes her and he is, you know, he's a wolf man at the time. Right. right. Well, you know, there's the level to Dracula and to uh, it, especially the original Bram Stoker story that really, really does call to mind the sexual awakening of, of repressed women. Right. You know, it's a story about about sexuality being demonized. Right. And women discovering their uh, their power. Mm hmm. In a way that absolutely destroys them. Yeah. I, you know, an orgasm used to be called a little death. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And and vampires are very sexy. Um, but not, tra- so not traditionally, right? Right. So that's but, a but modern thing. with Dracula. Yeah. Where he becomes, he comes the young yeah. Gary Oldman. He's such a handsome dude, right? Yeah. And he has lots of cool, handsome, hot sex with hot Winona Ryder. Yeah. You know, so like that's where vampires before then they're legitimately demonic looking. Yeah. You know, they're they're evil. Like in, in almost every characterization, whether you're going back thousands of years and looking at a, a drawing, whether you're looking at the Nosferatu movie. Yeah. You know, and like they're supposed to look evil, you know, but based upon now we have this idea that vampires can be hot. They can yeah. be sexy, like they can be cool. They can be torture. They can be a little goth and a little emo. Yeah. And be really complex. Just really pale and. And really pale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With really red lips from all the blood they drink. And sparkly. Um, no, vampires can't be sparkly. No. No, that's that's actually. that, that False. Yeah, that's, that's wrong. If you say that there's a sparkly vampire, you're wrong. Sorry, fans of Twilight. All right. And episode one, alienating people right out of the gate. I love it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, kid. I, I do think it's interesting that you chose uh, that you chose this incarnation of Dracula, especially mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, you've had a lot of uh, you've done a lot of this research on that triangle, that metal, yeah. melodramatic triangle. Right. I think that uh, the the Francis Ford Coppola film is a really interesting example of both heightening the uh the melodrama because it is a very very stylized film yeah uh you know it takes that source material and it 
takes it to the edge. Uh, you know, the, the performances, the, the, uh, art direction of it, every, every element of it is really, really, uh, Baroque in a way. It's a little, little over the top. It's a little overblown and it's a choice and it's sure. I think a very successful choice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the I, I movie's really beautiful. Like the movie. Yeah. The, the pre, um, pre any computer so graphics. It takes the, the ethics of melodrama, which are heightened stereotypes, archetypes right. um, of, of the form and of the character stock characters really. And it, it, it takes those to their logical conclusion and then it upends them. So I yep. think it's a really interesting choice that you brought Dracula in that incarnation to the table. Right. Uh, because talking about villains, you know, we're talking about the iconic, the ultimate villain. We're talking about Dracula, who is one of the most recognizable villains of all time, mm-hmm. other than Darth Vader. Um, <laughs> and the Joker. I'm not going to talk about Darth Vader yeah. and the Joker, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. let's, not, let's not forget the Joker. And well, you know, and truth be told, the reason I picked this particular form of Dracula was inspired by the election and not to be too political in the first episode, uh, whether you're Republican, Democrat, right or left, they were looking at the other side as a villain. Yeah. Right. And part of what they did was to villainize. And they were telling a story. Yes. And they said, Hey, we stand at this part of the triangle. Mm -hmm. We are the hero, the hero. I'm Clinton. I'm the hero. I'm Trump. I'm the hero. Yeah. Yeah. And the victimized person is, you maybe right. or a group right. that you empathize with and the villain is the other candidate or you know the other side of the aisle right uh, and and that story can can be different from whatever perspective you're standing in it's just how well you craft that argument right and if i can empathize telling the story well and it's also if i can empathize with dracula yeah. i can empathize with anyone yeah right and so go. i don't have to agree with you politically but i could still be empathetic to your worldview and try to see things and yeah. see that you want through circumstances that we might disagree. Yeah. You know, and to me, I think it's very, for me, it's cathartic, mm-hmm. you know, at the, the fallout of that to think if I can empathize with Dracula, if I can see the world through Dracula's lens mm-hmm. and see, I kind of get it. And I, I feel bad for him in a certain respect by the end of this movie where I start off being like, Oh, Dracula's going to get it. Van Helsing's going to kill him. All right. By the end of it, you're like, man, you know, I'm going to miss Dracula. Like he was actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, he's just like the, you know, if it's I had, if I had, guy. if I had lots of lots and lots of power and a broken heart, I might do some terrible things. Right. You know, like I might do some terrible things too, <laughs> you know? So like, and I think that to me, is it, it, it's a healing thing for me and doing this podcast, talking about it, it's helping me cope with the fallout of that election yeah, and just the vitriol and anger and the hatred that Americans were throwing at each other. Be like, you know, let's take a time and let's try to, let's try to look things like, like Dracula does, you know, or not look at things like Dracula. Let's try to look through Dracula's lens and realize that we can be more empathetic and caring and understanding. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I hope I won back some of the twilight people. I offended. (laughs) Sorry, twilight people. Uh, so yeah, that's that's our case study on so Dracula. That's Dracula. That's Dracula. Uh, you know, we'll we'll talk a little more uh, about Dracula at some point. There will be a blog post coming up. Yeah, and you know, send us send us things that you think. Uh, talk to us about the uh, talk to us about the Coppola Dracula. Talk to yeah. us about Bram Stoker's Dracula. Talk to us about Vlad the Impaler. If you We'd think, love to hear from you. If you think that's the worst Dracula you've ever seen, I want to know why. Yeah. If you think it's the best, if you think it falls somewhere in the middle, tell us why. Yeah. That's my favorite version of Dracula. I I like it too. Gary Oldman's great. 
Right. Uh, speaking of Gary Oldman, mm-hmm. here's a segue for you. Oh, oh, well, are, are we, we moving we, on? Let's move to. I think we said all we we should say about yeah. my 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 villain. Let's hear yours. So Gary Oldman is in a little movie called uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Ooh. And a couple of other Harry Potter movies too: Prisoner yeah. of Azkaban and yeah. Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that was a terrible segue. Really should have made that a little more. Moving on to 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 Laurel's uh, villain. Guess who it is? It's Lord Voldemort. Dun 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 dun. Yeah, you've heard of that guy. Uh, yeah. So Lord Voldemort, he is the he's the ultimate villain of the Harry Potter series. Okay. What were you about to say? I was going to say, give us a little Voldemort yeah. bio. Make yeah. A, a quick synopsis. So uh, Voldemort, Lord Voldemort. The Dark Lord was born Tom Marvolo Riddle uh, to a witch mother and a muggle father, also named Tom Riddle. For those that don't know, which you really should know, a muggle is a non-magic user. A non-magic user. If you don't know that, I'm sorry. Or as they call it in Fantastic Beasts, a nomad. Yeah. Very creative name, nomad. We first meet Lord Voldemort uh, in in the first... Harry Potter book, when we find out he is the evil figure who tried to kill Harry when he was a young boy, uh, and that Harry's power somehow repelled him. This turns out to have been a protective uh, sort of love magic from his mother that protected Harry. Yeah, some like unintentional magic, cause and effect thing. That's her sacrifice. Yeah. uh, Really protected Harry in that way. Uh, But yeah, so Voldemort really is the guy who leads the charge of, you know, mass killings of muggles and muggle-born witches and wizards. He is a power-hungry demagogue, and uh, he, he rose to power for the first time uh, before the, the series actually begins, so in the uh, late 70s, I guess? It's the late 70s. I have, when I it have no idea that, like, the actual, like... Years Harry Potter of the Harry Potter universe. I didn't so know that. He ro- yeah. rises to power in the late 1970s, okay. uh, falls from power, and then rises again uh, amid the the Harry Potter series. So in the uh, 90s and 2000s, I guess. Right. That's so weird to think about. Um, I don't think the dates really matter. I know. It's right? just so weird I to actually put that, that into, right. into time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know this guy. Uh, so he's ripped from his body, which is a major, uh, it's a, it's a very, it's, it's different from a lot of fantasy series, but, but not so different. We see, we see that in Sauron in the Lord of the Rings. Sure. Yeah. Where his, uh, consciousness is preserved sure, because sure, of sure. some object or some, uh, some outside magic. Right. And so he spends most of the Harry Potter series being kind of this, this figure that hangs over the rest of the universe and right. finds other ways to slip into the universe before right. he actually regains his body. Uh, so why did I want to talk about Voldemort? Uh, I wanted to talk about Voldemort because I'm a huge fan of Harry Potter for one. Mm-hmm. And I think that he is, he, in the way that Dracula is iconic, uh, as a villain of all time, I think Voldemort is an iconic modern villain. And I think his ties to, uh, historical phenomena are really important in the way that we look at the world that we live in. Okay, I'm the history guy, so you got to give me more on that. So, what, yeah. what are your historical ties here? 
so Lord Voldemort has obvious, obvious similarities to Adolf Hitler, mm-hmm. obvious similarities to Stalin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he really represents the authoritarian, the dictator, uh, a fascist regime, power hungry and yet charismatic and inspiring loyalty. Right. And, um, and he's in, in, in lieu with that, like in, in, or not in lieu with that, but also on top of that, he's secular, right? He's not right. toting a, a, any ideology. But he does scapegoat you know? uh, an important segment of the people mm-hmm. and, and uses his own power and charisma to eliminate those people. Um, but I, I really wanted to talk a lot about Voldemort's background, because when I started thinking this is who I want to do my case study on, I thought, well, Voldemort, he's... Uh, yeah, he's got to be pretty three-dimensional. And I was like, wait a second, is he? Right. Is he? And and it made me really think about if he's a good villain, if he is mm-hmm. as good as Darth Vader, uh, who I'm not going to talk about, or if he is as good as Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. I, I started to worry a little bit about my own perception of him as a villain. And then doing a little more research and, and remembering, kind of reading the books and revisiting some of them, especially the Half-Blood Prince, which I... I, you know, I really recommend going back to if you're looking for more uh, history on Voldemort, of course, because it's the book where Harry and Dumbledore really spend a lot of time going into those memories um, and seeing him uh, develop as a young man, uh, as Tom Riddle, before he really becomes the Dark Lord. And it really opened my eyes to be able to look at Voldemort through another lens and be like, okay, what? How do I understand this character? How do I understand this person? So what's so what what is the new lens? Because on on a I think on a surface level, Voldemort is all of the things that you you've described him, <laughs> but also kind of two dimensionally evil. So what what's right. the nuance? Like like break it down. Right. So if we go back through Voldemort's past and we look at the way he was born, there has actually been some. Uh, I mean, there's lots of conjecture about this kind of stuff online because it's a really popular series. But if you um, if you've ever you know thought about how he was conceived, there's lots of people who say, okay, he was conceived under a love potion, so that that means he can't feel love. No, correct me if I'm wrong. Is is that is that traditionally? Because I don't remember that from the books or the movies. Did I miss that detail? So that's not in the movies. Okay. This was this was cut from the movies. This is part of the Half Blood Prince book. Okay. Um, so it is in the book, and I just forgot it. Okay. It is. But Merope Gaunt, who is his his uh, mother, Merope, mm-hmm. a really interesting name because that's uh, in Greek mythology one of the Pleiades, and she is the the dimmest star of the Pleiades because she's the one who married a mortal. Oh, okay. Who is Sisyphus. Okay. BT dubs. Yeah. She totally married Sisyphus. Let's Sisyphus. not let's not Greek mythology rabbit hole. <laughs> I know, I know. But you know, yeah. this is the midnight myth. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We gotta talk about this stuff. Um but Merope Gaunt falls in love with this mortal or muggle, sorry, Tom Riddle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she feeds him a love potion to get him to love her. And they stay together for a while. And she becomes pregnant and she stops giving him the love potion for some reason. And so the whole time their relationship is based upon a love potion. Yeah. I must say that's terrible. That's a terrible thing yeah. to do to someone. She's an interesting character yeah. though. I don't want to spend too much time on her, but she is really, really repressed and her, her magic is, um, and her, her magic suffers because of her relationship with her family who mm-hmm. are terrible. Right. Uh, her brother and her uh, father are terrible. Right. Um, and her psychological 
state is is just right in shambles. So she's a mess. She's a mess. Yeah. But I mean, so she feeds this love potion to this man. She gets pregnant. She stops giving him the love potion because she thinks after all this time, maybe he's fallen in love with her or maybe he'll stay with her just because of the child. But he doesn't. He leaves her. Wow. And so, yeah, some people have said, okay, does he not, does Voldemort not feel love because he was conceived under a love potion? Is this magic? But J.K. Rowling has actually said in some interviews uh, that things would have turned out completely differently if his mother had lived. She actually dies during childbirth. Mm -hmm. People say, you know, J.K. Rowling says, if his mother had lived and given him the love that he needed mm -hmm. and been there for him, he might have been a totally different person. Right. So she makes a really powerful uh, argument for nurture over, over nature. nature. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's really easy to psychoanalyze Voldemort and say, you know, as he, as a kid growing up, he tortures animals and right. he's mean to other people and he's really isolated. And uh, yeah, no, he's clearly a serial killer in the making. He's right. a psychopath. Right, right, right. Um, but I, I think the author has told us it's not that simple. Right. And what we find out throughout watching his exploits and watching the ways that he falls twice is that the thing that undoes him both times is that he doesn't understand what, what a mother's love is. Okay. So for, for, our, for our, for my edification and yeah. for, for our listeners, hopefully there are plenty of you <sighs> expand on that. Tell me more what you mean that the yeah. mother's love. So obviously the mother sacrifices herself to save Harry. To save Harry. The curse Billy rebounds. Potter, yeah. He ends up kind of dying, but he can't really die because he put his soul into a bunch of, you know, yeah, ornaments and things. Yeah, he's from his body because of the horcruxes. Which right. We'll, you know, I'll talk a little bit about that. Sure. But what's uh, the second time? The second time. Because I think that's a little more nuanced. It's a little more nuanced, but yeah. it's important. Right. Uh, we all know, you know, in the Deathly Hallows, at that penultimate battle between Harry and uh, Voldemort, when Harry goes in and actually sacrifices himself and says, I'm going to die. I'm going to go in and fight this fight because I have to, because the prophecy says I have to. Uh, and Voldemort casts the killing curse one more time. Mm -hmm. Harry's struck down. And Voldemort, in, in a moment of really weird pride, sends one of his Death Eaters over to see if Harry is alive or dead. And right. that Death Eater that he chooses is Narcissa Malfoy, right. who is the mother of Harry's arch nemesis at school, Draco Malfoy. Mm -hmm. And... Narcissa goes over to Harry's body. She leans down. She can see that he's breathing. And she says, is Draco alive? And Harry says, yeah, Draco's alive. And because of this, because of her yep. love for her son, she lies to Voldemort and she betrays him. And this act of betrayal is what allows Harry to perpetrate this Trojan horse. Yep. When they make it back to the castle, Voldemort, again, in a moment of pride, being like, here's the body of your savior, and he's yeah. dead. And then Harry being like, not so fast. And, and it rallies the troops yeah. for one last fight. And it, his supporters, like the more cowardly ones, instantly abandon him. They're like, right. you couldn't kill Harry Potter twice. You're the prophecy. We're doomed. And some of his supporters just leave. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, but it's it's kind of an amazing wrap up there that the the thing that undoes him twice right is not understanding that a, a mother's love can save the world and that's because his mother died in childbirth right and it's it's implied by the author and by dumbledore mm -hmm. that merope chose to die because she was so heartbroken and her life had been so terrible and now she has this child she has to look out for and she just lost the will to live right she could have summoned the courage to live and she didn't uh so that's a really interesting thing that i i, I find about voldemort um, that I think brings a little bit more nuance to his character. Sure. 
Uh, but another thing I want to talk about is that... You oh, know, hold on. But before we move on, I have a follow-up question, if, yeah. if that's cool. Yeah. So I, you know, I hate to say it, but I've watched the movies a lot more than I've read the books. Fair. So I'm a bigger fan of the movies than the books. That's just kind of how it played out in my it's life. Weird. It's really weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, I saw the movies first, so yeah. I watched all the movies before I even opened any of the books. Mm -hmm. So that was my introduction to Harry Potter. Do you think the movies suffered because that's not as fleshed out? Because it sounds like a lot of that was in the books. I missed it, you know, so that that's on me. But do you think Voldemort I... could have been a better movie villain hmm. if some of that was thrown in? Or do you think it's OK the way it was? I I don't know. It's a really good question. I don't think the movies necessarily suffer as a whole. Mm -hmm. I think Voldemort does come off very black cape and very, you know, he's got snake right. nose. Sure. He's a very, very clear melodramatic villain. Yeah. Um, but I think what what makes him also more powerful as a, not just more powerful as a wizard, but uh, just a stronger villain that stays with you. Another element of that is that his ties to Harry are so deep. His, his relationship to the hero mm -hmm. is so palpable right? because he has, he has literally put a piece of his soul in Harry Potter by right. casting that curse and, you know, inadvertently making another Horcrux. Right. Uh, and Harry, our, our hero, who's clearly our hero, spends several books wondering if he's about to, like, literally go to the dark side. Right. But you, so you know what's interesting? Because, again, yeah. I, you know, I asked about the movie. Then you reference the books there. That's not as clear in the movies that he spends a lot of time, am I going on the dark side? I feel like the movies uh, do suffer a little bit of lack of nuance. I mean, it's a two and a half hour movie for a 700 page book. However, I right. mean, I don't think it's devoid of that, of that argument, you know, in, mm -hmm. in the order of the Phoenix, he sits down with, uh, you're talking with, about the movie. Yeah. In okay. the movie, he sits down with Sirius and he says, uh, I'm kind of worried that I'm becoming bad. Right. And Sirius is like, you're a really good person. You're just in puberty. Right. Um, <laughs> he doesn't, not in so many words. Yes, but that's um, pretty much, but like, yeah. That's what ha what's happening in Order of the Phoenix is right. he's becoming a man and he's a total dick about it. Right. And uh, he, As he's, most of us are. Yeah. Most most of us men, I mean. And he's kind of yeah. worried that, you know, he's becoming. Evil. Evil. Uh, but also in uh, in the Deathly Hallows, in that, that battle that he has with Voldemort, where they're like raging around the, they're like both flying and. Mm -hmm tumbling through the sky and stuff and they literally put their faces together for that yeah. one shot yeah that's a very on the nose i think it's a, it's not very subtle but it's it's important and it's you know, fast. A symbol of like yeah. oh my gosh these two are one yeah, um, and, and you'd think of different circumstances really bound up yeah and of different circumstances mm -hmm. they could have done great things together if they were on the same side whether that's good or and evil that's, right that's offered yeah. to both of them right you know, that offer stands in many, in many uh, circumstances. Right. Voldemort says, join me. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and one last thing I want to touch on is no, the, go for it. the Please. ritual dehumanization of Voldemort. So mm -hmm. there is a, a, and I feel like this is, this is obvious, but has to be said. Um, there's an element to the two dimensionality of Voldemort's villainy that I think is intentional mm -hmm. because this character ritually dehumanizes himself, like literally takes away the parts of him that are human and puts them in a cup Yeah, and hides it. Or in a green necklace. Cup. Or a necklace. <laughs> yeah. 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 And he takes these things that or are significant um, and he rips his soul so that he can destroy the parts of him that feel feelings. Right. And 
that's part of why he is he is still so uh, blind to humanity and why humanity eventually strikes him down. Right. I think there's so much more to say about Voldemort. Uh, well, the conversation never ends yeah. at the Midnight Myth. Yeah. And I don't want to... I don't want to go down this rabbit hole so much more, but, Mm -hmm. um, but I really think he, he ends up being a really, really complex and interesting villain, not just because of who, who he is in the books, but who he represents. Yeah. Um, and there's also a lot to be said too, with this melodramatic triangle of not just Voldemort doing the awful things that he does, but the fact that he has a, a cadre of loyal supporters who carry out his orders. Yeah, his, and commit, his lieutenants. His, and they commit yeah. horrible atrocities over the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the parallels are obvious here, too. You know, Hitler didn't murder six million Jews on his own. Nope. He, he needed an entire Mob bureaucracy. Mob is, is, yeah. is more dangerous than one unstable mind. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that is is another really important thing to say about Voldemort is that on his own, even though he's a very powerful wizard, sure. he couldn't have done what a fraction of the things that he did. He did so much of what he did because he capitalized on fear and he mobilized so many deplorables. Yeah, and, well, you know, and I think what uh, on that note, what I think is really interesting. So he has his anti-muggle agenda, if yeah. you will, but it it's it's always seemed to me that that was just an inconvenient thing to use. It's scapegoating. Yeah, yeah. like and, and, so, and I don't I think he believes and, it, right? Like he, I don't think he's he's being disingenuous. Well, and this is another parallel to Hitler too. Mm-hmm. Is um, he he hated his father, mm-hmm. and he hated what his father did to his because a little part of him is muggle too, and he's yeah he's a half yeah. blood yeah and. His father was a muggle and he never got over that wound. Right. And so, yeah. And I, so I think That's it's why he changed his name. Yeah. I think he's legitimate and re- does really despise muggles and does he, I think he legitimately think believes there. the wizards are superior, but I think it's also one step to power for yeah. him. Yeah. One, his motivation really is power and eternal life. Yeah. It's one thing that he can do to seize powers that he can unite other wizards on. Mm-hmm. The wizards already have this anti-muggle slant so that he can inflame those passions and use them yeah. to his own power. Yeah. What I also think is interesting, just another on the power note, how he circumnavigates institutions. So yeah. he doesn't go for institutional power. He'd rather have puppets yeah, that he, he can does pull employ, the strings. Yeah, those puppet governments. And yeah, he, which is very different from... Yeah, he not only yeah. infiltrates Hogwarts in the first film and movie, yeah. or first book and movie. Right. He, he infiltrates Hogwarts Ooh, film, in... Uh, film and movies. They're the same films thing. Films and movies. Yeah. Yeah, he infiltrates Hogwarts in the in the guise of Quirrell. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, that was his name. Quirrell. Yeah, Professor Quirrell. God, and with a stutter. With a stutter, right? We're in his Quirrell. Yeah, yeah with a stutter. Yeah. And... He was a he, great character he was. Yeah? Oh, you to dislike, you know, this... Like, <laughs> you know, like... He was just a, he was a fun character in the first movie. Yeah. It turns out, oh, wow, he's actually Voldemort's living in his head. Yeah. You know, it's just oh, a fun. so funny with when, the turban. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and then all the way at the end of the films, he's actually uh, de-seating the Ministry of Magic and putting his own puppet government in place. Yeah. And, and doing these witch trials. Right. That are actually about non-witchcraft. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting that he's actually 
persecuting non-magical people. And it's, yeah. it's an interesting way to flip history on its head in that way. Absolutely. You know, and I think, you know, at the end of it, let's say Voldemort wins. Harry Potter dies. Yeah. Hogwarts gets wiped out. You know, at, yeah, we'll at, read the cursed child. Right. So let's say Voldemort wins. He would definitely at some point like be crowned king of, yeah. you know, magic world or right. I don't know what title he would pick. King of magic world is obviously a bad one. I but, think it's great. Yeah. You, well, he's I'm, the dark lord. I'm Lord Voldemort, king of magic world. Yeah. You know, so eventually he, I think he would have like institutional authority yeah. as well as, you know, evil puppet manipulate behind the scenes yeah. authority. I think it's just interesting the choice to have him not be institutionalized in, in the right, movie. Right, to have him be outside of the... Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess you might have to do if you're coming back from the dead. True. It might be tough to run for office when you have a death certificate. You yeah. know, like that That might be difficult. Yeah. Um. Wow. So how do you feel? Are we ready to go to conclusion and then game? Conclusion and game? I think so. I think this was a good conversation. And there's so much more to be said. You know, sure. we missed a lot and we, we intentionally skipped over a lot because... Sure. You know, we don't want to be talking for four hours, but yeah, I mean, there's seven books and seven movies about Voldemort and hundreds of years you know, of Dracula. Yeah, hundreds of years of Dracula. So there, there's a lot more that we could do. If we left anything out that you guys really want us to cover or you think is a critical miss, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. So um, conclusion. Uh, you, want, you want to take the lead on the conclusion or would you like me to? Why don't you take the lead on that and I'll take the lead on the next part. Okay. So okay. ultimately... We believe here at the Midnight Myth that stories matter. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I said in my sort of introduction, I'm, I am a history guy and a someone who studies history. The, the thing that a historian is looking for is causality. How does one event lead to another event, which leads to another event? In other words, there's no single thing that has happened or ever has happened in human events that happens in a vacuum. What happened before it mattered, and that's going to shape what's going to happen next. And the reason why I explain that for the conclusion is that I think there's a framework that we want to put our discussion of these two particular vic uh, villains in. Mm -hmm. And that framework is that you have to have Dracula to have Voldemort. Yeah. You know, in the, the chain of human storytelling, you need to have the villains built on something. And as Dracula was not plucked out of thin air, there were already stories and popular stories about vampires uh, propping up all over Europe when Bram Stoker decided to write Dracula, which became the vampire story. Mm -hmm. Just as now we mentioned three or four different vampire stories, Twilight, Buffy, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing True some. Yeah. True Blood. That are all based on Underworld. You know, that all are based upon this vampire tradition. Yeah. But that, that there's a connection between these villains. There's a connection between how they're portrayed in the ways that we've discussed them. Mm -hmm. You know, there and there's there's lines that can be drawn and that we my question is, is the midnight myth to us is the perfect story. And if it does exist, it certainly is a blend of all of them. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And the idea that you can't have a great story without a great villain. And I don't mean without a, a really evil villain. Right. I mean, the villain has to be as important to the story as the hero. Sure. And in some ways, and in many ways, 
the villain is the most important part of the story. Yeah. Because if without if we take the melodramatic triangle without the villain acting, mm-hmm. there's no need for someone to come in and be a hero. The villain has to do something that inspires the hero to act. Yeah. And um, I think that is a an essential part. And I think the the last final thought before we move on to the game yeah. is let's guys let's take a minute and let's be empathetic. Villains yeah. villains have have a reason why they're villains. They don't happen in a vacuum. And I think that's true of humans, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, regardless of where you stand on any political paradigm, where you stand economically, what your gender, sexual orientation is, you know, I think it's better if we take a minute and try to think complexly, how does someone that's different from me view the world? And if I were them, could I see that somewhat in the same way? Yeah. doesn't make them right, right? It doesn't make them... Uh, it doesn't redeem. If someone does something terrible, that doesn't mean they're redeemed. But yeah. I think it makes us better when we take a minute and we just empathize. That's great. All right. So let's do the game. Let's do it. All right. Set All right. it up. So I, I think something that we really want to do every episode of this podcast is kind of close out with something a little more fun and something that we'd like you to participate in as well. Yeah. So we're going to play a little bit of a game today. It's probably good. We're probably going to mix it up every episode, but we'd love to hear from you. Uh, tweet at us at at the midnight myth at the midnight myth all spelled out yes okay I don't even know the Twitter handle <laughs> so I uh, yeah tweeted us your responses to this but the question today is of the great villains who would you like to be your partner during the zombie apocalypse who do you think would be the best person best villain to have on hand so during the zombie apocalypse. To make sure I understand, zombies walk the earth, society's yep. broken. Yep. I can pick a villain from anywhere. Yeah. Could be comic book, movie, literature, what I could pick a villain. Yeah. And that's the person that I need to lean on to for survival. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So uh this might surprise you actually. Mm-hmm. But the person that I chose, the villain I chose to uh snuggle up to during the zombie apocalypse is Cersei Lannister. Whoa. All right. <laughs> Bombshell. Bombshell. Pun intended. Um, I, uh, I, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> if you haven't learned by now, there will be spoilers on the Midnight Myth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't listen if you're not caught up on Game of Thrones. Uh, wow. Yeah. Cersei. All right. So we don't want this segment to go too long, but I need to know. Cersei Lannister. Why Cersei Lannister? I chose Cersei Lannister for a number of reasons. Uh, I think of a lot of villains that I know, I think her resilience is really, really remarkable. You know, we looked at her in the dungeons of the High Sparrow Mm -hmm. for such a long time, putting up with the worst kind of stuff, you know, like eating crap and being treated like crap. And she's a survivor. I think yep. she's absolutely a survivor. True. Now, it's easy to be said about Cersei that she's totally two-faced yep. and super evil. Mm-hmm. But what you cannot you cannot dispute about Cersei is that when she is loyal to you, she is loyal. So if you can get on her good side, and if you can get to a point where you're not a threat to her, I think her loyalty would be really important. 
Good point. And I also think that she is... Especially if she knows that you bring something to help her, too. Right. It's a zombie apocalypse. Right. And because she's so calculating, because she's not in any way... I don't think she's rash at all. Sure. I don't think she would ever go, like, running out into a bunch of zombies with a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we all saw... And spoiler... Spoilers spoiler, abound. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Spoiler, spoiler, spoilers. spoilers, spoilers. Uh, we all saw her calculate that huge um, orchestrated event where she blows up the... Uh, the, the high sparrow. The high, yeah, well, she builds at the septum. Whole, she builds yeah, the, the septum. The septum. The, 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 the church of Game of Thrones. Yeah, and yeah. all those characters in there by this circuitous plan that all goes to, uh, you know, her will. In arguably one of the best episodes of TV ever. Oh my god, it was amazing. Yeah, ar- um, ar- arguably. But yeah. I think if if you have somebody on your side who can engineer something like that you can take out a ton of zombies at once and also i think because of her position she would have access to a lot of places to hide out so we'd be able to hang out in her so are you in westeros with Cersei That's a Lannister? good question. I don't know if I'm in Westeros. I don't oh. I don't know. I didn't really get to think about these rules or not. There's going to be a zombie apocalypse in, in Westeros. I know. So we're going to see if this exactly. plans out. Exactly. So like, stay tuned. Oh yeah. Because I, I think see that's... if Cersei makes it through the White Walker apocalypse. Yeah, because I think that's a really cool thing. That's probably going to happen to Cersei yeah. at some point if she makes... It's, you know, it's yeah. Game of Thrones. Who knows if she makes it that far. But whether or not but, we're in Westeros, I think that she would be able to get us access, access because sure. she... In, in whatever universe we're in, she's a noble woman or queen. Scorcher, you, yours is so much better than mine. Oh, really? So much better than mine. Okay. Uh, interesting. I think we have the same sort of calculus behind why we chose who we chose. Yeah. Um, are, are you? Do you, I'm, I'm are, done. Am, am I, okay. Sorry, I didn't want to steal your limelight. I love that. So mine uh, was Lex Luthor. All right. And uh, interesting that neither of us chose anyone with any powers. I know. I was hoping that no one. Yeah. I was hoping we wouldn't choose like yeah wizards or right. You yeah. know, because yeah, I could choose Sauron and maybe right. he could march Ooh. his orcs against it. But like Ugh. zombie apocalypse, I'll take zombies over orcs. Yeah. Right? So like Sauron's not a good pick. You know, other than that, he's just an eye. But anyway, so Lex Luthor, and the reason why, very similar to you, is that he's a survivor. Mm-hmm. He lives in a world with super high powered beings, like Superman, for example, yeah. and he can contend. So, like, if you can almost take down Superman yeah. on a, like, whether it's Lex Luthor in a movie or in a comic book, a TV sure. show, like, he always comes so close to taking down Superman, he can handle some zombies. Yeah. Right? Like, to him, that's no big. Right. You know? And so, like, he is someone that is, like Cersei, calculating. Mm-hmm. He's someone that, it's not, he's not the type of villain that would murder you just to murder you. Right. You know, like, Darth Vader would be a bad choice because if you annoy him, he'll force choke you. Yeah. You know, so that would be bad. But Lex Luthor wouldn't be And he's rash. also not very able-bodied. No, I mean, he's not. I mean, he can fight with a lightsaber, but if what? you get him out of his life support, he's... What happens when his life support runs out of batteries yeah. in Zombie Apocalypse? Bye-bye, Vader. Yeah, and you're by yourself. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So Le- Lex Luthor's also someone that can organize. He can organize villains. So I feel like he could organize sort of the post-Zombie Apocalypse society. Yeah. He could help you find ways to build walls. He could help you find ways to make a radio nice. so that you could talk to other people. Like, I feel like he's a good coordinator. You know, you you know, he has technology stashed away that you could use, you know, like you can't really trust him. Right. Like you can't sit there and think Lex Luthor is now a good dude. Mm -hmm. But you can sit there and say of all the villains to run zombie apocalypse society, he's by far and away the one I'd want to do. I'd want to have run it. Yeah. You know, because, you know, he's not going down. Right. Like if you can almost kill Superman, you can handle zombies. (laughs) 
So for me, he was like instantly what villain I choose, Lex Luthor. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, not as interesting or as fun as Cersei Lannister. I think they're both great. That's I think a much it's, better pick. it's good that you you turned your eyes towards uh, post-zombie apocalypse society because I don't know where Cersei and I would be after we got rid of the zombies and we're okay. Right. Well, even then, like, even if it's like The Walking Dead where you just now have to live with zombies, Yeah. I think Lex Luthor's a guy that like, all right, we're going to have our post-apocalyptic apocalyptic zombie town. Lex Luthor's the mayor. Yeah. We're all probably going to live. Yeah, that's true. You know, like you still don't want to get on his bad side. No. You know, like you still don't want to. And like, it's an important motivation for Lex Luthor. Yeah. Is how much he hates that Superman. There's a being out there that's better than him. Yeah. In zombie apocalypse, it's assumed there's no Superman. He doesn't have that evil motivation to be better than Superman. Right. So like, you think he might be just a little, maybe I'm being naive. But you think he'd be just a little less than than evil. But anyway, we want to know, guys, Yeah. if you could pick a villain, us. any villain, any villain anywhere, um, hit us up on the website, hit us up on Twitter. Yeah. Let At us know. The Midnight Myth on Twitter. Um, and yeah, just give us give us your villain and uh, why you think they'd make a great partner in the zombie apocalypse. And uh, Laurel and I are brand new to this. We yep. have no idea what we're doing. So if you're listening to this and you have feedback, yeah, let us know. Drop us a line on the website, midnightmyth.com. We'll yeah. have a contact form there. Or hit us on Twitter. Uh, review us on iTunes. Good, yeah. bad, ugly. Like, give it to us. If you think this is the worst podcast ever and you'll never listen to it Ooh, again. don't tell me that. Oh. Well, you can don't tell me that. Review. Just let me know why. You know, <laughs> let me know why. If you think it's great, but there's something that we're missing, tell us. Let us know yeah, why. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Um, yeah, subscribe, write a review, tell your friends, tell strangers. Yeah. And, uh, well, episode one's in the book. Uh, I didn't really think of a good goodbye or, <laughs> or exit call sign. So I'll just say this, be kind to each other. Uh, be excellent to each other and party on. Party on. Party on. Party on.